Welcome to the Lucas Rock and Roll Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Jillian, and I'm, I'm, joined, here I'm joined by him, the wild man, Andy, and we've got Bill back uh, for another episode of a Wasp Chat, and today, Andy, which album are we going to talk about? The concept album, the awesome concept album, the Crimson Idol, oh, and the we're, story we're, Oh, I thought we were talking about Golgotha. What? Oh, yes, that's what I got on my paper here. Oh uh, no! Here, here, here we go. We're talking about the idol. That's not working so good. So uh, yeah. I've got both versions. Up. I've got re-idolized up. I've got Crimson Idol. Um, you know, let's start with the ba- let's start with the basics here. You know, and you know, we'd like to always talk about what someone's introduction was to this particular album. I'm going to go first this week because in 1992, I did not buy the Crimson Idol. I skipped it because I was coming back to Scotland from America. I'd been living in Pennsylvania at the time. I'd gotten kicked out of Penn State and went back to Glasgow and uh, kind of dropped out of music and you know, I'd buy Kerrangs and I'd see all the ads for the singles, you know, Chainsaw Charlie, um, I Am, whatever. Um, see, that's my familiarity with the album. I am one. I am one, thank you. <laughs> so I skipped it. And my first time I actually experienced any of the songs from it was, I think, in 1993 when First Blood came out, the, the Hits album. So... It was 1999 when the double CD came out. I'll see if my background will screw it up. I still have this because it's a promo um, from Snapper. Was the I first give it to me. Was the first time. Well, I started trying to peel off the silly promo sticker. If it will. Oh, don't do that. Oh. Just hold it in front of your face, and that's when it'll, it'll stay there. So. Yeah, so I, I didn't listen to the album until the double CD edition came out in 1998, 99, something like that, whenever it was. And by, by that time, they'd added on all the bonus tracks that had been released on B-sides of the singles. So I never really got to experience The Crimson Idol in its original format until we decided to do this uh, chat about Wasp and go through the album. So that was my introduction to it, late 90s, long after it had been a going concern. And obviously being in Europe, Metal Hammer and Kerrang! and all the, the, the music mags that we had out there, I was always seeing Blackie in them at the time. But I just kind of lost interest. I was listening to a lot of Megadeth um, and Nirvana, of all things, because... That was kind of what I'd gotten into in Pennsylvania uh, before that's before moving cool. back. So See, that's Andy, what's wrong with Penn State. They they get you hooked on Nirvana. Well, no, I'd already been kicked out by the time Nirvana came out. So you know, Penn State, and it wasn't and it wasn't State College, Pennsylvania. I always have to stress that I had gotten suckered into going. I applied from Singapore where I'd finished high school, and I got suckered into going to an associate campus in Throop, 
Pennsylvania, which is near Scranton. Oh, so way up north. Okay. I thought Scranton, it was near to Binghamton, where I'd lived 10 years in the uh, late 70s through the, the late 80s. So I was like, oh, it's near to Binghamton. I'll be able to go see all my friends. They were all gone by then. And I didn't have a car and I didn't know how to drive. And it, it didn't work out. It was a nightmare. Throop, Pennsylvania. No offense to anyone who lives in Throop. But I'm not a big fan of Scranton. Hmm? Well, see, my sister, we, we were born and bred Buckeye fans, being from Ohio. And my sister loved her to death, but by gosh, she managed to do everything wrong because she married a guy from Michigan and then moved to Pennsylvania. So now her daughter lives in a state college. So her daughter roots for state uh, for Penn State, and she has to secretly root for the Buckeyes. But Yep, I do not. That comes with root. me. I, I never rooted for Penn State. I always rooted for Syracuse. <laughs> always well. Uh, so, Bill, let's start with you. What was your your first introduction to Crimson Idol and your initial impressions of the album when you first heard it? Crimson Idol was a funny one because I had to buy it as an import because it wasn't released on a U.S. Because if I can, if mine shows up, I'll try it. I'll pull the CD out here. Let's see up here. Notice up here it says Parlophone, which is the EMI label that the Beatles were on. So I had to buy this as an import. It wasn't released in the United States, to my knowledge. How? What kind of? What label is yours on, Andy? Uh, I, I can't even see you. That's so. Anyways, my CD says Capital. Okay. See, mine says Parlophone. I bought it as a as an import before Capital put it out. Well, you you know you know me. It's either the kiss thing or the wasp thing. I'm there. I, I don't wait. Yeah. <laughs> well, it just wasn't available. You know, that's the thing. Is you, I mean, I had to go to a record store and order this to get it. So I was ready for it when it came out. It just it wasn't publicized worth anything around me. I never saw it in the rock mags or anything like that. For all I knew, wasp was done. But then I got some inside information that it was coming out. I can't remember how. But uh, I then I went to a record store and ordered it. And oh, so are we still giving my first thoughts on it? Yeah. What was your initial impression? <laughs> I mean, obviously, as someone who'd been a fan of the band through the 80s, you know, into Headless Cross, you know, here's a three year gap that you, you kind of lost track of what Blackie was doing. I don't remember even reading much news about him in the interim. You know, for you, you just mentioned that you had some inside knowledge that it was coming out. So what was your impression of it when you, you spun it in the deck or? Well, I, I wasn't impressed with it because everything started off with an acoustic guitar. And I wasn't as well-versed in everything else that, uh, that I know now. But, you know, it just like it wasn't a CD you could throw in and, you know, pump your fist to right out of the box. Because, you know, the first three or four minutes of it are, are acoustic battle. And then, like, the next three songs all start acoustically. And it's kind of like, well, what's left with this? But then when you get playing through it, you know, it sounds like a Wasp album. It sounds just as much like uh, Inside the Electric Circus and maybe a, a little bit more like Last Command, but uh, definitely detailed lyrics. And the lyrics, seem, the, the vocals seem kind of buried on it. But I, I do remember, and this is going to be a sparring point between me and Mr. Andy. I do remember that when they when they publicized it, that Bob Kulik, Bob Kulik's playing on the, the new Wasp album. And of course, as you know, young a young guy is like, oh, well, Bob Kulik's playing with Wasp now. This is going to be awesome. 
and that didn't turn out to be the case. It's a miracle they made it through the album anyway. But, uh, you know, that was another turn on. It's like, hey, the guy that, you know, played for Ace Frehley is now playing for Chris Holmes. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was a good album, but it was just not something you could throw in a jam to. Yeah, you know, completely fair enough. All right, Andy, you know, you got you. When did you get it, and what did you think about it? Go. All right, now now we're, gonna, now we're just gonna go back a little bit because we when the Headless Children was released, right? The Headless. Oh, it was my note. I actually wrote notes for this, and I never do because there's so many different versions of everything. Now, remember when the Headless Children came out and you absolutely went crazy for the album and you're yes. just like, wow, this is off the hook. This is absolutely nuts. And that came out what? In uh, I got my little thing here, man. That's pretty bad. I don't remember this stuff off the top. Uh, April 15th. Of, uh, April 15th of 89, okay? And then it was a tour, which was, you know, there wasn't like a huge, huge tour either. I mean, it was it was awesome and stuff. Don't get me wrong. It was all awesome. I loved it. But then, 88, you got 89, 90. What happened? 91, what happened? <laughs> 92, next thing you know, here it comes. All of a sudden, Wasp, this, this, this new album comes out, and it came out in June 8th of 92. So you're almost talking, what, almost two and a half years later? So when it came out, it was like, you go to the store, and you're like, holy crap, it's a Wasp album. When did this come out? Where? What the hell just happened? <laughs> you know, and back then still, right? The net, the net wasn't really that big still, right? The internet, you know, YouTube, all that stuff, right? That didn't exist. It YouTube, didn't, internet yeah, didn't, didn't really start until, until 94, you know, before that, 93, most people had to dial up into private uh, BBSs and stuff. So there wasn't anything. There wasn't any way to know about these things. And, and, and I didn't really... You know, I know people say, oh, MTV, you know, the the late stuff, the rock stuff at night. <laughs> that MTV crap, that was full of crap. Those guys played the same freaking videos, 10 or 15 videos every week, every weekend or, or was it every Friday or Saturday night? MTV, you're like, oh, yeah, the, the metal rock thing. You, you, you know, you're praying that they're going to show something really good or something different. And they never did. Uh, hardly ever did. You know, unless like unless the, the record company, right? The record company basically paid them to play. Now it's the other way around. You pay them to play. So, you know, go, vice versa. Whatever. So you never heard anything about Wasp, really, at all. And all of a sudden, you go to the store and you get this album. And I'm like, holy crap, it's a Wasp album, number one. I'm like, is that Blackie on the cover again? <laughs> Not the old man, you know? Now, now, think about it, too, is that this, we just saw, we just heard and saw an awesome lineup of wasp you know the headless children crystal i mean it's just fantastic and then all of a sudden you get this album and you look in and you're like wait a minute is that is that blackie on the front cover you can't he sort of looks like him but it might not be him might be that other kid might be the kid who played jonathan or the guy and then all of a sudden you look inside you're like wait a minute blackie lead vocalist lead rhythm bass guitars what keyboards what then all of a sudden you go with Steph Howard and Frankie Vanilla playing drums. So you're like, hey, I know those two names, <laughs> you know? And then all of a sudden you read it and you look deeper and you're like, holy crap, Bob Kuehl is playing lead guitar. And then you're like, and then you scratch your head and you go, what happened? What, what happened to Johnny Rod? What happened to, 
Chris Holmes. I mean, what happened? I've never, there was never any explanation. I wait, wait a minute. There might be videos out there now to explain. Actually, I don't think there is. I don't think there's there never actually been. is one. There, there's one I saw in the, actually when we were researching for, for headless children, it was an interview with Blackie and he said that, uh, that he played, uh, uh, now I'm like Julian forgetting uh, titles. Hold on to my heart. He played hold on to my heart for Chris and Chris looked like him, you know, a deer in the headlights. He had no response to it. And he said that was basically the linchpin for, for the two of them separating on this album. Oh, now, now when I get the album, I'm like listening to it. I'm like, Hmm, this is kind of interesting. You know, like, like you said, Bill, it's not like, you know, it's not like a, I don't know, pick a pop or whatever. It's not like a lick it up or heaven's own fire. You know what I mean? It's not, it right. doesn't have, it's not that kind of, but it's not that kind of album. It's a concept album, right? It's kind of like, I don't want to say it's like it. It's not, but I mean, it's the elder, right? <laughs> kiss, kiss the elder, right? It's, it's, it doesn't, well, it does, but I mean, at least kiss with the elder. They actually did a world without heroes. They came on solid gold. They did stuff. The, the Washington it's, never. It's so it, much more like another concept album. I, I can either bring it up now or later. Tommy, uh, you know, yeah. it, it, it just screams who the whole album does. But yeah. Well, I mean, by when you listen to it, you're like, wow, this is pretty cool. But the thing is, it's one of those albums. Well, it's a concept album, so it's not just like a regular. It's either you get it or you don't. That's the thing behind this whole this whole album when it came out. You either get it or you don't. Now, for the, me, for the original one is, you know, and then you think about it, I'm like, oh, my God, Bob Kulik's playing on it. Bob Kulik played on some Kiss stuff. So I'm like, wow, here we go. And you know that, you know, Blackie and Ace were friends, too. So you're like, wow, there's a lot of kind of connections in that Kiss Wasp area for me. So I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. And then you start listening to it. And like you said, it's got a lot of slower stuff in the beginning before they get into the song. But then when you start doing the story, which on the original one, when you say the original one, the original Crimson Idol, is that Blackie doesn't tell the story like on the CD. It's it's written inside. You know, you got to read this whole page like you did when you were a kid. You know, you read the whole pamphlet. It tells you the story. You know, so I mean, that part of it is kind of like, wow, is it Blackie's life? Is it is it there? To me, it sounds kind of like it's supposed to be sort of a fictional character, Jonathan. But it almost sounds like Blackie's life, moving from New York City to to California, and then looking over that rise and saying, "Here I come, you, you know, <laughs> I'm gonna come kick some ass, you know." And this is, you know, so I mean, I don't know when you listen to it, and, and I, you know, there might be people's real lives like this when you start thinking about it. If you stop thinking that deep, I wonder if this, you know, this people, this, you know, I've been on Wasp said for a long time so there's you know facebook pages and other pages and there are people who said that this cd like made them really think deep you know this this cd made people really think deep you know and, and some people went kind of went through some of this stuff that's on this cd you know in their real lives you know you know that you know this are we getting into the story about jonathan <laughs> you know i mean uh julia what do you want you know you you know, want to get into the story about you know Jonathan, the whole story, or are we just kind of just do? <laughs> well, no, no, you know, I, th I think we should talk about you know the concept, and you know, Bill, you, you raised the point of Tommy. Um, I don't 
get any of that out of the concept. And I never did. Again, when I started listening to it, it really just seemed to be a collection of songs, very loosely connected. Um, You know, just the themes are kind of pretty broad that he kind of touches on. So I never, you know, when I compare it to those bands that did concept albums, The Rushes, obviously Tommy, I think there's only one song where I actually think that this is like really concepty. And that's because of a guitar solo to me that sounds very david gilmore-ish um so that's the only time i ever get near thinking of this as a concept yeah there's like little pieces of narration and introduction to some songs that flesh out and try and make it stick but it's just it doesn't really have an ending as such i mean what i would have thought not a happy be, one anyway well not a very happy one at all and, well, and, there is an ending he, you know, as much as, as, as much as, as much as that he hated his dad, but well, actually loved his dad. The story, he loved his dad and still worshipped his dad because he always said, "This is my dad." But his dad hated him, tortured him, beat him, and then at the end of the story, it's like, okay, he wasn't actually the idol and stuff like that. His father was still king, so it doesn't matter how bad that the kid or Jonathan, or whatever, got whipped, beat on shit, that his father, that he still loved his father in the long run. And, you know, it's kind of, you know, I said it so, so I said some of these songs, probably there are a lot of people who relate to some of these songs. I mean, I had a good, I'm not going to complain. I had a great child, but when I grew up, some of this, some of this shit is deep, man. And I, I didn't go through any of this kind of stuff in ways, you know, I, I'm serious. I know, but there's people out there, that have you know i'm thank god that or thank whoever that that i had a great childhood life you know <laughs> well and you don't have to necessarily go step by step and match you know in lockstep with what they go through but that's like uh what well, it, it's like the alienation you know the neglect you know more people do that than people who are neglected and beaten and it just that's just a variation on the form of neglect that he got or, you know, all the attention he got was bad or anything like that. But the whole thing that, and I understand Julian's point because Julian in 1992, I was exactly where you were. I didn't really get this opinion of it until I started sitting down looking at the lyric book and uh, like last command is a put it in the car stereo, crank it up and party with your dudes kind of album. This is a cerebral sit down, put the headphones on, immerse yourself in the album, ignore everything the wife's saying, no matter if it's dinner's ready or not. You're sitting there reading through everything and just taking in the whole story visually and audibly and all that. And once you do that, you'll see more of those those connections. Oh, but, de- uh, def- definitely, like you said, Bill, it's not a hey, let's throw it in, let's party with it. It's basically you you it, you get it or you don't. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a very difficult album to just like throw in and say skip four tracks, and that kind of throws you then because you can't just go to kind of the hits. Even though I guess they kind of did that when they went on tour, they only played like five songs from it. But it's not one that lends itself to the songs, particularly being good standalone rock songs. I mean, Bill, what you just said about or. I can't remember which one of you said it about Last Command, you know, being kind of the party album that you just put in and go. You know, that's 
a completely different kind of listening experience to this. And that's what I find awkward about it. And then, because obviously I didn't listen to the original version back in 92, I'm always kind of polluted by all these other songs that are on the two CD version that came out much later. I mean, Eulogy which to me would be a very fitting end to the whole thing because it kind of brings it to a close in a way that the great misconception of me doesn't. Um, and then Phantoms in the Mirror, which he should have played that for Chris because that sounds like a headless children leftover musically, um, yeah. you know, and, and, and fit that in. It's like, why are those two songs in particular bonus tracks and not included in the story? Because they both seem to have more of an important part to the story than just leaving those the rest of the tracks on their own. Because that's I a think big the, question. I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead, Andy. The, uh, the, the Phantoms, dog. if you listen to it, it's got bits and pieces of songs that have been upgraded. It's got like the Charlie and the Chainsaw. It's got some of the, you know, the parts in it. So I think it's more of a, you know, you're in the studio, you're playing it. Yeah, this might work. This might work. And I think the Phantom is pieces of other songs, you know, from other songs. So I think that's why I got left off. Because you could definitely hear some of the, like I said, Charlie and Chainsaw's one and some of the other stuff. So, but, uh, you know, and then, you know, we're just talking about the original version, you know, the 10 to tender. I would call it the short, I mean, the original, but short version of this whole album, right? When you call it that, you know, the kind of the shorter, you know, the short of the, the story, the concept album, really, because it yeah. really becomes the concept album way later on. The, the re-idolized, basically, is a real, you know, heavy, you know, more deep into it, I would say, or the extras finally put in there, you know? Yeah, he fleshes, so, he re-idolizes a fleshing out of the story, probably <clears throat> with 25 years of hindsight of listening to people like me saying, well, I don't get that. You know, what happened, you know, how how does it tie together? And he resequenced the story and idol, re-idolized. And, uh, you know, let's talk about that later, you know, towards the end, just get yeah, your thoughts yeah. on re-idolized, because I really want to focus just on this original recording. Well, me, me well, personally... Uh, I love the original recording, point blank. You know, Bob Kulik, freaking phenomenal. And I, and I, you know, I, you know, as you know, I've seen Bob. I've met Bob a bunch of times. Every time I see Bob, even from the beginning, I would take the Chris and Idol with me or something. And I mentioned it all the time. Hey, man, how was it to work with Blackie? And he would just say only once or twice. He's like, well, you know how singers are. I'm thinking to myself. <laughs> and I told him one time, I'm like, no, I don't. I don't know how singers are. Tell me, you know, something. But he never did. So Bob never actually said how it was working in the studio with him. But me personally, you know, maybe it's because that was the original one I got. And I know we'll talk about the other the other ones late after this. But for me, man, the original one, even though it's a say, shorter version, is kick-ass. Bob, I think it's one of Bob's greatest works ever. You know, the song The Idol, unbelievable solo. You know, are we going track by track or are we just skipping? <laughs> skip around skip around to the favorites and the ones that you want to talk about. There's no need to go in order. You know, if you start talking about one song, just give us a chance to, uh, you know, both chime in on it as well. Well, but, you know, you know, I, I, I know the overtone thing is just a kind of, you know, a little bit of musical. But for the people who might not see understand this, you know, the, the second song is called The Invisible Boy. And basically, this is where the father ignores him. The parents ignore him. They're wicked religious freakouts, you know. 
I know those kind of people. Cuckoo. <laughs> Anyways, uh, you know, the, he, you know, him and his brother, right? His brother was the one, you know, his brother was the number one. Jonathan was number two and a piece of crap, basically. And they tortured the kid. So either by physically or mental abuse and everything else. So basically the kid takes off, Jonathan takes off and basically takes off. I'm just going to say it's Blackie in a way from New York or wherever he's taken off to, to California. And he looks over the arena, which is the arena of, arena of pleasure. That's what I call it. <laughs> the arena of pleasure and sees, hey, here I am, California. Bingo. You know, and then, uh, you know, he meets, uh, he meets, what's his name? Stalwart there. You know, Ch- Charlie Chainsaw murders in the new morgue. Basically, meaning this uh, guy could screw over more people in the music business than he could be a lawyer. So basically, you sign your nine on the dotted line and I'll use you, abuse you, take all your money and then run away. Which how many record labels did that? Blackie was right on, right? Wasn't he? Bingo. You know, and then uh, what happens? Blackie ends up meeting a gypsy on the gypsy on the street. Gives gives the fortune teller, John, uh, Jonathan, fortune teller. He's going to be the one. He's going to be, you know, go from nothing to blown up, you know, this huge rock star, you know, huge rock star. And, of course, what happens when you come this huge rock star back, especially back then? All of a sudden, you get sucked into drugs, right? Dr. Rockter. There you go. <laughs> Partying all the time, doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And then I am one. Basically means I'm the king. Here I am. I'm the one. The one and only. And then, of course, The Idol, which is my totally favorite song off this whole album. Point blank. <laughs> Good. Stop and then, there. Stop there. Yep. The Idol. Bill, yep. your thoughts on The Idol. Because my notes, as far as writing down thoughts about some of these songs, I wasn't able to actually write a lot about these. They just didn't kind of tend to lead themselves for me wanting to write an essay about them. I just wrote for The Idol, stunning song with a fantastic solo. And it's it's the one that I've referred to that I get kind of Floyd, you know, Gilmore phrasing in part of that solo, which is the only thing, again, like I said earlier, that ties it to, you know, a concept in a way for me what's your take on the idol and it was a single as well and that's the thing is where was it a single at because it certainly wasn't a single in ohio uh it's a great song uh but the the bad thing is now that i'm i'm kind of soaked into the concept and really digging into it it was kind of like it fits perfectly into the story flow uh and uh and it is a spectacular song with a great solo. And I'm with Andy. The uh, uh, Did you say The Invisible Boy had a great solo in it, too? That's a pretty happening solo in it. But uh, as far as, you know, as the idol, I, I'm having a problem taking it out of the context of the, the whole album picture to just kind of think about. I, I didn't find anything memorable. And this, the, it's like the, the whole orchestration was great. But as far as picking out 16 bars where this really blew me away, it didn't happen. But it fit cause contextually amongst the other songs. In my, in my, probably, yeah, in my second favorite song after there is Hold On To My Heart. Classic. That's a great. Freaking classic 80s metal you know, power ballad, whatever you want to call it, totally off the hook. And I had that played at my at the wedding. Woohoo! <laughs> great, Which, great. It, it totally sticks out like a sore thumb on this album. In the middle of this album, 
in the middle of all these screaming guitars, you've got Hold On To My Heart, which is also a single, not in Ohio. <laughs> well, now, the thing with Hold On To My Heart is, 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 a, is what context you put it in, because I watched the uh, the DVD yep. that come with the album that we're not going to be able to, to talk about until later. And uh, with the Hold On To My Heart portion, where it sounds like a love song, it is a love song, but I don't think it's a romantic love song. I think that he's singing that to Michael because Michael was all he had. But placing it that far along, you know, uh, well, that's another thing with the con the sequencing and everything like that. Is, uh, but it would have been a great single, and you could pluck that one right out. You know, that's like Andy said he played it at the wedding. Well, people probably didn't go at the wedding didn't go. Well, that doesn't sound like the rest of these songs. It sounds like a heartfelt ballad. And I, I yeah. think it would be a decent song for a wedding because, you know, it's talking about being in, in a struggle and that other person is all you got. And and apparently the heart is the place where you need to hold on to. <laughs> it just, I don't it just, it's just, a, it's just like awesome. Like I said, I think, just think it's an awesome power ballad. Yeah, sounds, I mean, it could be romantic, but it's not necessarily, you know, it's not like I love you and I want to hold you. It's not something like that. It's basically yeah. something like I, I, I need you and you mean the world to me and stuff like that, that you could probably sing to anybody, you know, if yeah. you felt that deeply about them. But it's it's not necessarily a romantic ballad. But I think if that had an outstanding video, which I've not seen an actual video produced of it, because I looked around for it, and everything is showing me clips from the DVD. Uh, uh, if it had had a, a decent video, it had been really great, and it probably would have been a better hit. There, There is a video. If you look on YouTube, there's a video of him uh, with acoustic guitar sitting in, like, black tights, no shoes on, his bare feet. No, I'm seriously. And it's like, <laughs> and it's like a million candles around, and he's playing the songs. The videos okay. for... The videos for the songs are are not great, really. I mean, that's maybe, the problem. If it had a well directed video, a well produced video to go along with it, as good as the song is, you know, that's the thing. Is a great song with a crappy video is going to be a crappy song in the end. You, you well, know, I guess, I guess back like, by but yeah, but I guess by 1992, what, what were you getting anyways off of MTV? Well, yeah, you were right? getting head, you were getting Alice in Chains on on a Headbangers Ball, and I've already started an Alice in Chains fire in the past two weeks, so I'm not going to go any further with that. But oh, yeah. you know, that's the thing about it is it was dealing with with grunge, and this was probably this probably would have been considered a decent grunge ballad. You know, it wasn't the it wasn't dirgy sounding, but it was melodramatic. Oh. <laughs> I'm killing oh. Andy here. <laughs> No, Washington, New Grunge, no! But, uh, I mean, it would have fit in with the times, you know, with what other metal bands were doing at the time. Yeah, yeah. I just yeah. think it was... Boston bands, yeah. like, you know, Extreme, More Than Words. Yeah, this fits in well with that kind of, you know. Oh, if if Hold My Heart came out in when they were, you know, I don't want to say in their prime, whatever, the, you know, between Last Command or even Inside the Electric Circus, it fits right in there. It fits inside with the electric circus. It has that 80s kind of feel to it. I still, you know, it's just a great song. I just, I don't know. It just makes me think about that childhood, the 80s, or 
not childhood, you know, teenage years. That's all. Yeah. I don't know. I love it. And I love the original versions of, and I love Bob Kulik on this. I think his guitar work is really don't good. Say. <laughs> I, I I think Bob's guitar works better on the next album, but there you go. That's just that's uh, just but, a difference of opinion. But you know, let's talk about some of the other songs. You know, Doctor Rockter. I mean, that's a great song in terms of where it sets the story. But you know what? Every time I hear that or see that title, I'm like, I didn't think Blackie needed no doctor. Oh, I guess so. Oh, good point. <laughs> there is a video. There is a video. There's the video too with this with this song, right? There is the video. Well, or unless it's on with the with the DVD combo now, right? Everybody knows Dr. Rock there is. If you don't, I guess you weren't a kid of the 80s. <laughs> or the 90s, right? You know, I mean, uh, you know, let's put it this way. When you get more money, more stuff, that's what happens, right? To some, not everybody. Not everybody, but um, some people take it to the next limit, right? Well, it's like that, what, that Tom Petty video. God, what was that? The, the guy gets a guitar it's like the same damn story and i always i can't remember what the name of that petty song is but uh you know fame corrupts as does power does as oh that's the one with johnny depp in it right johnny depp's the character in the video yeah Yeah. you know that's that's dr rockter i can do without that annoying kind of narration at the beginning tatiana and all that rubbish just (laughs) you know I'm going to you know, edit that see, out of my, my my version that's going in my playlist. You know, uh, I'm going to I, edit out the story. You know, that's part, of, that's part of the whole thing with this album, too, that makes this story. And this is why I'm going to fight against you guys in a nice way about why this is better than when we go to re-idolize because of what Blackie did and didn't do. Why would you? And I understand why he took it out. I mean, I'm, I don't. I'm not a saint. But I don't swear like a tons and tons of times. But to take out the words that he took out for some of these songs later on and reidolize for the same songs that are done over, it just doesn't matter. It doesn't fit right because there's no way they would just say, "Well, if you if you don't stop this partying, I'm going to leave you." Really? That's not how they would say it. They would say it like they would say it. If you don't get these in people out here, right. I'm done with. Right, but in, you, in you that, also have to remember that Blackie had changed. Don't forget, his oh, I, per, his perspective has changed over the years, and he is no longer the same Blackie. There are certain songs from the early catalog that he will yeah. no longer play, and that's perfectly fine. He has evolved as himself, which, you know, I, 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 to be frank, I don't care one way or the other. You know, I, I'm happy to listen to this one, but when I listened to Reidolized, I was like, wait, they changed something. And I then had to go back and say, well, okay, they changed yeah. that, they changed that, they changed Okay. And I'm like, okay, big deal. You know, it's not to the, to the level now. I, I think there's pressure in the current day and age where in 1991 or the late eighties, remember Axl Rose, that song that caused a furor, you know, it's the same thing. I don't think you can get away with that in the name of art, particularly easily now when you're coming from a certain demographic, Um, other demographics are allowed to say whatever they want in music, but I think he played it safe. But I think also his perspective had, um, you know, change to the point. It was other things that they changed in Reidolize because that kind of bothered me, but it also helped me because, again, he added in songs to flesh out areas that I thought worked that helped me understand the story a little bit more 
then listening to the 16-minute story of Jonathan. Um, it became a bit more fully fleshed out, but I do like the concise original version. And going when I go back to it, once I prune this double CD down to the original tracks and just listen to it as is, I'm like, number one, as far as concept albums go, what did I have to kind of judge it against? I had to kiss, you know, music from the elder. Well, it's much better than that as a story, as a concept, and as an execution, because it actually makes sense. And he didn't cut out all that narration that explained the story like Kiss ended up doing. But does it compare to Tommy? Does it compare to, say, a Rush concept album? No, but it's a really, really good effort. And musically, it is so broad, it's stunning. I mean, some of these songs, my favorite song on the album, Chainsaw Charlie. I mean, you get a little a bit. Great song. You get a little <laughs> bit of every style of wasp in there. There's a middle section around five minutes where you, th where he's almost going Iron Maiden as well with galloping bass. You know, so I just love that song, and it's such a great story that is told within that one eight-minute something, you know, piece of uh, of of music. And it and it's so ruckus that it could actually fit on the first album, in my opinion. Uh, it's just you know. They're, there's not, they're not pulling any punches on that one. It's just beep, 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 just coming out of the box swaying. So, I, yeah, that's, that's yeah, one I was yeah. going to mention. That was a really cool song. Yeah, the, and you could pluck that out as, like, a single, too. Yeah, the, the original version can go on the first Wasp album, but the Reidolize can't. <laughs> Again, you, I, I, you, might, you might think it's silly, but back then, it's, it, you know, that was the words. You know, my name is Charlie Chainsaw. I'm a cock beep, like a beep, a beep. <laughs> that that whole. Well, phrase. and that's the thing is, I'd yeah. rather I'd rather he changed the words to where they flowed right than actually because I had CDs with beeps in them. I had album uh, cassettes with beeps in them, or where they would silence a curse word or something like that. And I'll take a lyric rewrite any day of the week. And when it comes to lyric rewrites, this one is golden compared to. Charlie Daniels rewrite of Uneasy Rider. And if you've never heard that, go look up his new version of that because it's atrocious. He almost took the whole context out of the story about being a hippie, getting chased by rednecks. But anyway, uh, that was my, my big thing on the, the lyric changing. But I think it, you know, musically, it definitely would have fit on the first album. Yeah. But I mean, it's the, but it's the point of, <laughs> unless you spoke like that and gave the truth, which he did, what it is is, you know, people if they're if they've never seen Wasp or never listened to this album, this this album is, it's the record company, James Shot Charlie. It's about the record company and this guy who's basically ripping, you know, ripping people off, you know, ripping the bands off, mm -hmm. you know, like record companies did. And Blackie was like all over did. it. It's just did weird. you mean you mean they stopped that behavior? <laughs> no. Of course not, but I mean, you know, they're pretty much they gone. They did when the internet happened. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but I mean, it's just, well, it got I, worse, I guess, but yeah. Again, I, I think it's the whole idea of maybe, maybe I'm just that way, man. This is the way I heard it. This is the way it is. You know, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, it, I don't even understand, too. Like, then they re-released it before we even get the re-idolized. They re-released -re <laughs> Crimson Idol in 1996 as a double thing now, but it has the same songs on it except for disc two, which 
you know, which, I think which, it was, you know, disc, disc two is fantastic because it's got some of the live stuff from Donington. It's got the cover of uh, what when the levee breaks, which just to be perfectly honest is way down at the bottom. You maybe will have to do a ranking of Wasp's Wasp's cover versions, but it's way down there for me. Um, and then the 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 story of Jonathan. Yeah, I actually liked listening to that once. You know, just to hear Blackie tell the story of it. that That's kind of neat. The live stuff's fantastic. And he had a great live band with him because Johnny Rod came back in to the picture, I believe, for the tour. And then he had Doug Blair on lead and Stess on drums. Uh, Frankie was out of the picture. But let's talk about some of the songs on Reidolize before we, you know, kind of go back to maybe some of the live stuff from that. Because he added in Michael's song, which is mostly kind of musical, and I thought that was good. And I was debating whether I was going to say that I hate the guitars on the original version and was really happy with the guitar sound being made a little bit more traditional on Reidolize. But I changed my mind on that. While it was really interesting to listen to Reidolized and enjoy how you know some of the guitar tone was different, I want to go back to the original Bob version, and that is just it. That's how it's supposed to sound. That is how it was meant to sound, and I'm good with that. Um, as for the rest of Reidolized, a lot of the stuff is just filler. You know, like the piece, just trying to jam a song into the story. Showtime, I laughed my butt off at because it was just so <laughs> pompous and... Uh, his voice acting was worse than mine, which I recently did some of. So, um, other than that, the only good thing about Reidolize that I will say is Miss You. It's fantastic. Thank you. On, That's a great one. It's fantastic on Golgotha, and I'm going to happily listen to it more on Golgotha. Um, it's just fantastic song, period. So, if he felt the need to, you know, because his albums don't get enough sales to put the, to recycle that one and give it another shot in a slightly different form in a different context than fine with me. Bill, what's your take on some of the stuff on, uh, you know, reidolized? Well, on the recycling thing, you know, it worked for white snake. Cause how many versions of here I go again, did he do? So why not, why not let what blackie do it? Uh, actually I really like, I really like the reidolized version listening to i mean actually i've only listened to it front to back once but you know i threw the vinyl down played all four sides and i thought it fleshed out the story so much better uh and it it made the uh back to the uh, way back to our concept thing where the the one thing where i find a relation with like tommy and crimson i is the thematic points like feel me hear me, touch me, you know, that part there from the who. And then you have, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to be the Crimson Idol. And then there's another one that's, uh, where is that? Uh, there's a couple of the thematic points like that. But when they brought in those other tracks on Reidolized, they threw a couple more of those in. And then they lengthened, uh, which song did they lengthen? Um, uh, I'm thinking it was uh, I am one, where they brought in the uh, the long live the crimson the long live the king of mercy part that gets brought in a couple points too, so they get peppered in there to where it kind of ties all the other songs together with them, and I thought that was a big difference in that because I went through uh, I listened to the original version right after we right after we signed off the last time, and I was listening to it. 
And then I went and listened to uh, Reidolide, what I had seen. I actually saw the DVD version on YouTube before getting the DVD. And I was sitting there going like, well, these songs are different and the lyrics are different too. Not just the point of, you know, dropping out the curse words or anything like that, but where they had done some of that lengthening in there from that version. And then you get re-idolized, which is actually even more enhanced because the the actual video, the DVD here, it is the same track listing as the original version. So you don't have any of that other expanded part in it. So it's kind of like if this is re-idolized, this should be re-re-idolized because they spread everything out. But I really do like the the whole the clear concept of the whole thing. I think it's performed well. Uh, I've listened to it in, on Amazon Music. I've listened to the CD. And I don't know if there's something wrong with my CD or my CD player, but it took me forever to get through the misconceptions of me today. But it kept, it kept jumping backwards. I never had a CD jump backwards into a point. But, uh, but you know, all three of them are different in one way or the other, whether it's actual lyrical content, sequencing, or or the performances versus the original. And I'm really not dissatisfied with any of them, but it's like where me and Andy were messaging a little earlier. He's like, you know, what, you don't like the original version better? And it's kind of like, well, I don't think there's any really standout-ish parts in comparison. I don't listen to I don't listen to the original version and go, ooh, that's a, bo- a cool Bob Kulik part. Because I don't think Bob Kulik is really defined. I think that anything Bob Kulik plays on the Crimson Idol, I think Chris Holmes could do the pretty good version of, if not better. So that's, that's just my a- outlook on that. I don't think he was exactly outstanding on the Crimson Idol. Uh, Go ahead, Andy. <laughs> you made me cringe. Don't get me wrong. I, I don't have nothing with the with Blair or any of all these guys to play on the album and stuff, you know. It's, but it's, I guess, when you hear an original, right? <laughs> and then you see, then you listen to somebody who's done it over, and he's, you can hear the different guitar tones, different everything. So that's that's like that's like listening to yeah, the original stuff from like Kiss playing. And then you hear those god awful remakes inside oh, no. the Sonic CD. Oh no! Oh, no. You just <laughs> don't don't go there, please. No. You just, no, you no, just no Goku Retsudan, you know, will be discussed. Those re-records and Def Leppard's done re-records, and uh, you know what? All these bands that do re-records, I never stick with them, other than White Snake, because I do prefer the re done versions that they did of older songs on both the 1987 album as it's called in many countries or self-titled in others and there was one on slip of the tongue as well from an earlier era those i do actually like because they hair metaled them they went from more of a deep purple blues into a metal zone in the late 80s but i still listen to the original version as well I'm going to jump in on that one because I actually remember hearing Fool for Your Loving on the radio before 87. So back to Andy's point, that's why I like that version better because I think they they layered too much icing on the the uh, slip of the tongue version. And it's just kind of like, man, that was a great song. Why did they even fool with it? No, no pun intended. But uh, just- yeah, I mean... When it comes to like a remake, I'm usually not, I'm usually right with you, Andy. I'm usually like, 
and like go to Ritsetson or whatever it is, you know, uh, Greg Troy will have a laugh at me trying to pronounce that one. But, you know, those are horrible versions. But I think that Reidolized is the best attempt at re-recording an album that I've ever heard. Oh, I'm I usually don't, totally yeah. against it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying it's bad, but the tone and the sounds for me personally, it's Bob. But I love I love Miss You. That is a great song, and it's not done by Bob. It's done by hmm. So you just kind of, you know, so now that I miss you, and I love Miss You, you know, I mean, you know, people are like, oh, that was on Gothic. But, well, originally it was supposed to be, but anyways. Oh, just on a side note, the uh, bass player that plays for Weissnay, uh, I went to school with, he graduated one year underneath me. So that's which my one? little tidbit. Which, yeah, which bass player? Which one? <laughs> You looked at, you looked at that what, bad family tree. Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot his name. He graduated like a year under the. He's okay. been in the band forever now. Okay, so he's current. The current oh, bass player. Okay. He's been in there for a oh. long time now. So anyway, I forgot his name off the top of my head, and people go like, oh, "My God, Andy, how did you forget?" Uh, whatever. Wait, wait, which band was that? Twice like. Yeah. Okay. So he's got the beard. I've lost, I've lost track of Whitesnake. I haven't yeah, had, but had anyways, anything off, off them in a, in a few <laughs> years. I, I agree with Bill, though. It's not bad. It's just that I'm so used to hearing the original for so many years, it's embedded in me. <laughs> yeah, and, and that, for oh, me, that for me is the that. same. Because, again, you know, I've mentioned how I skipped this, and I didn't get until the 90s. But I'd gotten back into Wasp and stayed with them from Still Not Black Enough when I went into a, a record store in Glasgow, and Still Not Black Enough was there. And they had, I think, some picture discs from Crimson. And I went with Still Not Black Enough. And because of the guitar tone on that album has, and I've always enjoyed that album way more than just about any Wasp album, um, to have come since the 90s. What are you doing? That's next. Yeah, I know. But because of that, because of the similarities, because of the similarities in the guitar, which obviously is there for a reason, is why at the end of the day, I'm more comfortable with the original version, even though I think there are some good songs added to the re-idolized ones, which will stay in my playlist. I just, I can't listen, well, I mean, I can. Anybody can. You can skip songs. I don't. When I, when I, when I want to listen to this, I want to, like Bill says, I want to listen to this. You know, get the hell out of my way. Leave me to if alone, and I'm going to listen to this. You know what I mean? You know, again, this is one of those things you could put, well, maybe, you know, hold on to my heart. You'd be like, hey, you want to hear this? Thing? You know, bringing, bringing that up, hold on to my heart. I would pull this out, you know, even if the wedding or somewhere else would say, hey, check out this tune. And they'd be like, people are like, hey, man, that's a really good tune. Who did that? And I'm like, <laughs> and you tell them who did it. You're like, what? <laughs> who? You know, it's the same thing with the kind of like a like a kiss thing or anybody else. You know, it's going to be a oh, kiss. I don't like them. Or, or I don't like Wasp. But then you, you you play a song that, you know, you would never think that with them. And you'd be like, oh, my God, who's that? Oh, that came from Wasp. What? What are you crazy? I'm like, no, it's that's that's who it's from. No way, they can't do stuff like that. I'm like, uh, yeah, he can, <laughs> you know. So the guy can write, the guy's a talented, that's <laughs> you know, and again, oh, too, you know, Blackie can produce too, man. For you know, Blackie produced the original one. I mean, he can produce, unlike some other people we know. <clears throat> so <laughs> <laughs> So he just felt the chick as I said that. 
<laughs> you, you just completely disappeared when you leaned over. That was awesome. It's just like you just vaporized. Yeah, yeah the, the person in question already hates me, so you know. Let's not go. Let's go into some final thoughts on this because uh, we're well, getting... okay. now I, I got a little bit more, but the, the one go. thing is uh, with the uh, with the the number with the number of songs associated with this project. Let's put it that way. How do we know that what is on Reidolized wasn't originally fashioned for the crimson idol and what pieces got plucked out what you know that's like you know uh brian wilson with his smile album he couldn't get 1966 musicians to accomplish what he wanted to do and then he went back later in the 2000s and had it done with a band that went back and fixed it but i mean you know what was what might he have had envisioned in the entire project he could have had that entire Reidolized story fashion because and then just it was like well this will be a double cd there's no way we're going to do this on your first album with this label blah 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 uh, of course it was probably parlophone if it was capital in the u.s it was probably par- parlophone with emi before i don't know who their their english distributor was but you, you it makes you wonder what did they piece out to make the first 10 track album and how much of the story it may have hurt doing it. Yeah. Well, this was, but the, then there's this, also, this was the last album on Capitol. So, you know, I think Blackie has said that he had a bad relationship with the, with the label at the time that they weren't supportive of that sort of music at that time point. So he probably just left in the big guns. I, I wouldn't be surprised if there were bits and pieces that he had ideas of, but in terms of what studio time costs, you know, I, I think he probably just pruned down the idea. But it took him three years to get to that point as well, when you think about how long he worked on it. And, you know, all those years that he had just disappeared for the most part, it wasn't like they were putting out a song on a soundtrack here and there. They were gone from the scene. They weren't in magazines, were they? No, no. And it's because of the big G word that helped a little bit, too, because... If there was anything that was anti-grunge, it was definitely Wasp. You know, there was nothing Wasp that sounded grunge except for what's the song I, I mentioned, Andy? <laughs> uh, well, hold on to my heart. It could be a yeah, grunge but, ballad, but anyway. Yeah, but uh, it, the, the funny thing is, is this the DVD? This was shot and mixed in 1992. So why didn't this come out? when the album came out because it could have been, you know, maybe he wanted to do it as a package or, you know, uh, I know back to my manager thing from the last episode is Smallwood and Taylor was still working with him on the Crimson Idol and he gives them special thanks on Reidolize. But it would have been the case where if this was shot in 1992 and uh, a lot of the graphics may have been fixed up later. Smallwood and Taylor were still involved with him then. So why didn't it come out then? You know, well, it could be the bad thing with the record company or whatever. But, uh, I mean, that's one of the questions that's raised in my head since listening to all these. Well, well, I, I, I saw the 25th anniversary of the tour. So I couldn't believe it. So, uh, again, you know, people might say, oh, yeah, big deal. It's on. Back then, again, it's one of those things where you hit either word of mouth 
or you knew somebody that knew somebody or somehow down the line, you end up finding out that like, Hey man, your band's playing somewhere. So I actually saw the 25th anniversary of the Crimson Idol. And I went and I went to this place called the Webster theater in Connecticut. So if anybody knows if what I'm talking about, the Webster, Webster theater in Connecticut, where that place is, man, I'll tell you right now, oof, that place is in not a great area. And the parking lot was really, really small. If you didn't get in there, you, you, can't, you weren't even supposed to park on the streets. And if you did, your cow would get broken into, I mean, or towed. I mean, that place was like bad news, but great place to see a lot of bands. I know a lot of heavy metal bands went there in the day, but uh, I was actually went. That's one of the times I went to Webster's Theater. And actually, yes, I do have a story, but we can wait that for another time where my hot rod, what I call it, it was a, my 1970 Nova, souped up Nova when I bought when I was 16, uh, uh, basically got towed <laughs> that night when we came out of Wasp, yeah, out of this show, too. I went from being super like, oh, my God, I just had to create time. I can't believe they just did the whole album from top to bottom. The whole original, original album, top to bottom. I was so excited. And then and I cried when I heard the Idol song. I couldn't believe I actually happened. And then all of a sudden I get out, and there's like five of us guys. And we're like, I parked my car down the street at a supermarket with the lights on just to you know make sure it wouldn't get in it, but it was gone. And I was totally freaking out. I mean, you don't understand. The story gets worse. It gets crazy. There was some there's corruption everywhere. You know, the, the, the towing takes it to the place, the place of the, the cops. Everybody knew everything is weird. Chasing down a cop. My car got stolen. Where are you from? I'm from Massachusetts. Uh, he goes, well, I probably know where your car is. Call the cop gets me in the car. I had to go. I'm like, we call the place up. He's like, yeah, it's going to cost you $250 to get your car. Are you shitting me for like 15 minutes? Go to the bank. Try to take out as much money you can get ATM. Don't have that much that kind of money with me at the time. Get there. Cop lets us out. Lets me out. Goes up to the truck. I go up to the where my, you know, where they get one of those lift trucks. I can see my car sitting there. Now this is my car. <laughs> this isn't a piece of shit. This is my '70 Nova. So I mean, it was really nice. All chrome inside. I mean, and I worked hard on that. You know, whatever. But I jump up. I literally jump up on the truck. To pay the guy because the guy told me how much money over the phone. Go to give him the money. And the guy goes, how much money you got on you? I'm like, what? He goes, how much money you got in your wallet? And I go, I have the money. Well, no, how much more you got on you? It was seriously. I'm like, are you kidding me? This, this That's no called robbery. <laughs> Dude, man, I was like, but you can understand. This is in 2005. I was just like, out of my, I'm like, oh, my God, what do I do? This guy has my car. In, in the in the you know place in the cops there like 50 feet 20 feet 30 feet away with, with the rest of my friends and my i think it was my brother was there too in the car and all of a sudden i'm like are you kidding me dude now i'm like hopped up you know like on the thing because it's a big truck right and i'm like dude you might give my car and the guy's like you how much money's in your wallet dude i don't have any more money he's like well you're not gonna get your car i jumped down looked at the cops started screaming you know my voice carries so all the people say, hey, do you scream all the time on these podcasts? My voice can't be. <laughs> Even when I'm not. Really? Singing, never noticed. My voice carries. I can't help you. Yeah, I mean, come I, on. He, he's so shy. <laughs> Trying to get him to speak is impossible. Yeah. So I, I'm seriously, man, this story. And so so all of a sudden, I turn around. I run back to the cops car. I'm like, this, this beep, 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 beep. 
won't give me my car back. He's like, what do you mean? He wants more money from me and I don't have any more money. So I'm like, you got to take me back to another ATM cop? And the guy goes, no. And of course, one of my friends brought some guy that I didn't know. First time I met him. And the guy was a drunk asshole. So he's mouthing off to the cops. Cop at the same time in the backseat. The guy's like, oh, my God. So the cop. And then finally the cop says, let the kid have his car. Let the kid have his car. So we'll get, so we're in the car, the cop car, I'm in the front seat, and the rest of the guys are in the back seat. And the other friend who brought this friend says, oh, he's not going to drink. If he drunk, he becomes an asshole. If he doesn't drink, whatever, he's, he's fine. Well, the guy got totally wasted because me and a couple other people went down to the pit, and he stayed up in the bar and drank. And he's muffing off to the cop in the back of the cop seat. And I'm like, dude, just take the kid. And they're like, no, we don't even want him. I'm like, just take him away. Ah, you know, so anyways, <laughs> uh, it's it was really scary. It was really bad. And I said some stuff. Probably I would have been arrested back then nowadays because I basically said, dude, I know where this place is. I'm going to go get my father. We're going to come back down it and I'm going to burn your place down. And that's when the cop said, let the kid have his car. Because I said, I'm serious. I'm going to come back down here with some people and my father and some people that you don't want to admit, you don't want to know, and I'm going to burn your place down. Now that I know where you are, they gave me the car back. So anyways, so that was my great, great night. So anyways, the Webster Theater in Connecticut, and here's the ticket stub. Now, now these these bands open up for Wasp. I don't know if anybody has heard. It's a band called Wednesdays 13. I don't know if you guys heard of the band. That sounds familiar. That like sounds someone familiar. was a guitarist in that band. They were starting to get a little popular. I don't know even know if they're around anymore. But I know they were kind of popular around here because they came from around this area, I think, pretty sure. Uh, Stephen Piercy from Rat was opening up, too. Uh, and L.A. Guns <laughs> with Riley yeah, in it. Lord. Imagine that. That's the line. And then was. I mean, come on, man. But... For twenty bucks, so with it's the amazing, time, there was any time left. <laughs> yeah, for them to do the whole album, and then a few, they did a few songs afterwards. But Stephen Parisi, I mean, I've got one of his solo albums before and laughter, pretty good. Obviously, uh, L.A. Guns is fantastic, and Wednesday now, Thirteen, and Murder Dolls is the connection I was thinking of with that. Okay, album. now I, I, I have a I have a Wasp tragedy too. <laughs> Actually, no, I saw the. He's, first anniversary of the crimson idol tour on uh september yeah. 4th 92 at bogarts in cincinnati and uh, i was in a band that we had just recently split up but we were close friends and the bass player jc peace to your brother he had moved down uh, a block away from bogarts and him and his uh his uh roommate we'll call her that uh, they invited us down to come down and see wasp and stay the night and him living down there he had the key on when happy hours started and when they stopped. And that Wasp show happened to be the one concert I was ever the most inebriated at. I don't oh, remember geez. a single drop of it. I do remember the downtown Cincinnati in the Clifton area. There's, they call it the Hills, the Clifton, because it's kind of like a miniature teensy tiny version of San Francisco where everything's on a hill. So if you you don't have a parking brake, you don't have a car anymore. But so to, to go from Vine Street down behind Bogarts, you had to go down a slope. And I remember nearly tumbling down that slope trying to, you know, cause it was always fashionable to, okay, we're out of the concert. Let's go back to see if they'll meet us at the bus or something like that. 
And I've met a couple bands back there like that before, but uh, Wasp wasn't one of those that happened. But uh, I, that's the one, the last show that I got so inebriated that I, I was like, I wasted my ticket. Yeah, I had a good time with my friends, but I really wasted my ticket on seeing the band because I don't remember a single note of the whole show. I do remember that I was pissed because Bob Kulik wasn't there. That was about the only thing I can remember about the whole night as far as the band's concerned. Well, that, that's the thing, too. When I saw I had to, I well, by then, you knew who the band was because it was 2005 when they, the 25th anniversary tour of it. So, you know, yeah, I knew the band back then. But you want to see something really scary, though? And only for you guys. And this is really scary from that as long night. you ain't taking any clothing off. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, for some strange reason, during that time, you know, everybody's like, oh, you know, you know, how people go, oh, life changes and all this crap in your world. And, you know, you have to make changes and this would be better for you. And you got to start a new life and all that. Well, <clears throat> for some strange reason, and I don't know why, I listened. I did a kiss. Oops. <laughs> I decided, well, it is, yeah, it, I guess it's in the long run. It's my, my choice. So I decided and I have two pictures. I got to show you guys. Like you said, you go down to Connecticut, you go down to Webster Theater. If you got in there early enough, if you knew some of the guys in the Wasp band at the time, they would uh, kind of roam around, you know, because most people are like, you know, I don't know them. You know, most people didn't know unless you're like, oh, Blackie Lawson, Chris Holmes, and that's about it, right? But nobody knew it was like Mike Duda, right? Well, here's a picture of me and Mike. Now, this is really me. This is in 2005, and I decided to do a kiss thing. Why I say that? Because, look, this is me now. And I did it. Oops. I actually cut all my hair off. <laughs> and that is, and that that's is, Mike. That is scary. Now that's Mike next to me. And when I went up to Mike, you know, because now we're going to He's got like the red, red sock shirt on. And I'm like, hey, Mike, can I have a picture with you? And he looks at me and goes, how do you know me? And I'm like, well, you're in Washington. And he's like, and you know me? <laughs> that's what, you know what I mean? So some people didn't even recognize and. Here is the picture of me with Mr. Drummer. <laughs> so there's my ugly bug. Take it so back just a little bit, Andy. Oh, a little bit? I'm sorry. I'm trying to. Yeah, that's good right there. Yeah, perfect. Sort of, yeah. Yeah, so there so, it is. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure the golf course was a couple miles to the left. <laughs> I, it, even though I'm wearing the last command shirt, which I could still fit on at the time, so I wore it. And I did get a drumstick. I got a drumstick that night, you know, so I, I was, you know, awesome. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it though, that I was actually hearing the whole Crimson Idol from CD from top to bottom. And then they would play some of the hits, you know, like I want to be somebody have like a beast, you know, whatever they played that night. So they did play, you know, something like blind in Texas and stuff after they were done. But it was funny during the intermission, because it was so many bands, were they 13, Steve Piercy, L.A. Guns, you know, so I went out to look to see if they had anything, any merch and all that. They don't have anything. I'm like, what the hell is going on again? There's like no merch. I'm like, why isn't Blackie and company putting out or, or selling merch? But it was funny. Uh, Stephen Riley sees my shirt and I'm going to go go to the bathroom, you know. Number one. No, no, just say that. So, anyways, I'm gonna go there and see her. I see the shirt. Goes, hey man, look at that dude's shirt. Unbelievable. <laughs> Grabs the other guy in LA Guns. 
And he goes, hey, dude, turn around. And I'm just like, okay. And I'm like, what? He's like, wow, man, we love your shirt. And Riley's like, look, look at that shirt, man. <laughs> There's another album cover I'm not on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it was just kind of mind-blowing, you know, to, to see some of this stuff. I mean, most people, I mean, if you could see that many bands, Wasp, L.A. Gunn, Stephen Piercy, and Wednesday 13, all for 20, you know, with the church service charge rate, 25 bucks <laughs> in 2005. <Yeah. laughs> Back in well, the old days my... when you could actually go to a concert. That's Well, it cost me more than $25 that night because my car got towed. So. <laughs> yeah, you got a drumstick. <laughs> and it does, but it doesn't say his name on it. So I have to keep remembering to, like, put it with, you know, one of my friends, she, she plays the drums. She came up. You know, a couple of weeks ago, you know, poking around and stuff like because she, she's a huge Kiss fan like me, and you know, she had a ton of Kiss stuff at one point. And actually, I feel sad is that her house burned down, so she lost every single thing. And she had a huge, huge collecting since she was a kid because we lived on the, you know, same street. She had lost everything, so by doubles or triples, I've been giving it to her left and you know here and there and stuff like that. But uh, she came up and she's, you know, she was a really pretty good drummer, and she saw these and she still drums one of those pad things, you know, whatever. Um, She's like, man, who the hell plays this thick of a drumstick? And I'm like, hey, what's this name did? I know it's, it's like, like a tree. <laughs> yeah, she's like, holy crap! <laughs> but it's all like, right. hey, all right, you know? we're we're gonna wrap this one up because that's uh, that that's some good stories. You know, I I want to find a good recording of the 2007-2008 25th anniversary tour because you know the 92 set only included five or six songs from the album. Um, I I do like that set because it had Hellion and On Your Knees in it, but I do want to see that uh, that greatest one that uh, the, the greatest hit oh. set at the end of the album. You know. Because they didn't come out to California, and I probably wouldn't have gone if they had anyway. Because uh, from the looks of the clubs that they were playing, it would have been a, probably the Regency or even worse in San Fran. So, well, you know the what thing I, about the live show is, I think that in, when I saw them in '92, I can't remember. Like I said, I can't remember what they played, but I remember not being very engaged with what was going on. You know, I had plenty of time to drink apparently, but. I just I don't remember being very engaged to show because sometimes when you get that adrenaline rush and you it doesn't matter how much you drank, you know, you end up crashing later or something like that. But it didn't really pump me up. And that was a disappointing thing about it because I love the band so much. Yeah. Well, I got, I got one more note on that because Bill had said mentioned that. Why didn't they come out with the DVD with the with the music and stuff? When I went to the 25th anniversary of that. They were wicked, wicked strict. They were just like about not videotaping, not taking pictures because they were going to videotape pictures and they were going to release, you know, the whole like three idolized. And I mean, here it were, is. <laughs> yeah. But, no, I'm seriously though. They were really, really strict about getting <laughs> pictures, taking pictures. I mean, it was brutal. They were like, you got to can't. I mean, they were catching people in the audience. They were like black. You look at people. I don't know if it was more black, but they were like looking at people, and they were like, and they would get the guards, and the guards would go out and just like rip the cameras away from them. I mean, they were really brutal at the time about absolutely no videotaping, no no photos, none of that stuff. Well, and I remember getting a shakedown. I mean, I remember seeing people get shook down at a concert, and I wanted nothing to do with it, so I never bothered risking it. I never yeah. bothered trying to sneak anything in. So. 
Wrap you know, it up while we got a chance, Julian. Yeah, and on, <laughs> on, and on that note, I'll plead the fifth. So uh, there we go. That's our thoughts on Crimson Idol. I oh, you got, it, well, you got wasp ones? Oh, yeah, you didn't go. I'd say if you get some wasp ones, man. Hello? Nope. <laughs> All right, we're leaving it there. That's our thoughts on Crimson Idol. What do you think about it? What do you think about Reidolized? Uh, what are some of your favorite songs from it? What should they have done? Should Blackie do this again? Yeah, why not? By the time the concert hey. halls open back up, maybe he can have a new album out. And uh, 2022, 30th anniversary, why the heck not? Blackie, give it some thought. All right, so now from uh, Bill, from Andy, myself, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Bye now. <laughs> Thank you for watching or listening to this episode. Be sure to subscribe to us, like us, or even leave us a review. You can find us and join the conversation on Facebook. Facebook.